This morning's uh, Old Testament scripture reading comes from Psalm 85. So hear these words. Lord, you were favorable to, favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You pardoned all of their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God, let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his faithful, to those who turn to him in their hearts. Surely his salvation is at hand for those who fear him that his glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground and righteousness will look down from the sky. The Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and will make a path for his steps. And the New Testament scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 2 verses 6 to 15. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead." And when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. May we be grateful for the hearing, the reading, and the understanding of these words. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for Scripture on this day. We thank you for the opportunity to hear it read. And as always, Lord, if there is something that has spoken to us in those words, help us to reflect on that, to to go home and consider why those words may be speaking to us today. And Lord, I pray that in these coming moments, you would help us to open our ears and our hearts to continue to do so, so that we may hear anything else that you may be trying to convey to us on this day. And Lord, put me aside. I pray that you would speak through me in these coming moments, and Lord, that you would speak in spite of me. In Jesus' name, amen. Yesterday uh, afternoon, I went outside for a second, and I pulled out 
my pitching wedge. I haven't golfed in a long time. And it's been a couple of years since I even swang at a, gol a golf ball. So I grabbed one out of the garage. I put it in the grass in front of the parsonage next door. And I saw a tree, uh, you know, way down yonder. And I said, I'm going to see how close I can get to hitting that tree. So, you know, I bent all the way down and took one practice swing, maybe two, chipped it on up. I got to tell you, I got really close to that tree. <laughs> Thank you. It was quite impressive. And I just took one shot. I went and picked up the ball, put it back in the garage, and said, that was nice. That was a good day. <laughs> but one thing about golf that frustrates me is I can never remain, and this word is key to golfers, especially those who play um, professionally, when they do these tournaments like the Masters, you know, which is like the Super Bowl of golf, and it's like three or four days of, of this tournament, and you have to play 18 holes every day, and you just, you have to do good the entire time to even win. So the word is consistency. That's what amazes me about golfers is that, uh, professional golfers, is that they, they have bad holes here and there, of course, but but the reason they're so good at what they do is because they are consistent. Like, I'm confident I could go out this afternoon and play, and I, I think I could have one or two good holes in a row. Like, I, I think I'm capable of that. And a lot of times, that's the case. You, you may feel like this sometimes um, when you play golf. You may be um, happy when you play golf. But other times, you may be full of anger. There you go. That may be how you feel other times when you play. Consistency is important. And as a reminder, uh, the book of Colossians is, is what we talked about last week um, in the New Testament. What seems to be happening here is that the Apostle Paul is, is really kind of coming together for one purpose in this letter. He's trying to convince those who would read it in this church that Jesus is sufficient for their spiritual life. Jesus is enough. And since Christ is enough, they should therefore resist those things that may draw them away from the gospel, from the good news, that may draw them away from um, the teachings, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So the scripture this morning that I read from chapter 2 really discusses some things that Paul wants them to avoid, a warning. Don't be taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit and other things that may be considered false teachings or the false gospel, and there's some things that you should be wary of. And even today, in the, you know, in the life of the church, there are things that, that we should be careful of, things that can kind of seep in uh, to the teachings of the church or false teachings. And, you know, one of those that, that is prominent is um, something that's been coined, you know, no pun intended, uh, the prosperity gospel. The idea that, you know, if you're a faithful Christian, if you're a faithful disciple, then God's going to bless you with wealth. God's going to bless you with, with health. And um, many of us know from personal experience that that just is not the case, that 
you could be a faithful disciple, you could be full of the love of Christ, and sometimes um, not be in the best um, shape of your life when it comes to your health. There are things that sometimes that we just can't help that happen to us. Lots of people who don't hardly have a dime sometimes are the most faithful, loving people you've ever met in your life. So certainly we know that just because you're a faithful Christian doesn't mean your bank account's going to grow. But sometimes those sort of messages do creep into the church, and I think that's something that Paul would warn the church of today as well, to don't, don't follow those sorts of teachings that, that tell you that you're going to be blessed and, and, and with health and wealth if you are a Christian. But Paul uh, mentions uh, warnings of all sorts of things and things to avoid, but he also gives encouragement. In verse 6 and 7, he says, Therefore, as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith. So Paul's trying to tell the church, remain rooted. Remain rooted in, in who you are. Remain rooted in Christ and established in the faith. And he's not just saying that because it sounds good. He's actually telling them to do this because he doesn't want to see any of them to be led astray. He doesn't want to see any of them to be caught up in different sorts of teachings that might take them down the wrong path. Paul's reminding them. He's reminding the church. He's saying, listen, in Him, in Christ, you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision. By putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ, you were buried with Him in your baptism. He's giving them all these words of encouragement. He's reminding them that you were dead in your trespasses, but God made you alive through Christ when He forgave all of your trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us, nailing it to the cross. He reminds them, He says, listen, on the cross, Christ disarmed all the rulers and the authorities Jesus made a public, a public spectacle or example of them. He triumphed over them on the cross. He defeated the evils and the powers on the cross. And those are great reasons that Paul gives the church as a reminder for them to remain rooted, to remain firm in their relationship with Christ. But like golf, it can be hard to remain consistent. It can be hard to remain rooted it could be hard to continue in our lifestyle of discipleship where we are striving to practice those acts of compassion to others and, and justice and worship and devotion under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's hard to remain in a continued life of discipleship. It can be fickle. Sometimes we can totally miss it, and sometimes we can have those moments where we feel like we are in connection with God and loving God and, and loving our neighbors. And a continued life of discipleship will require some things from us. It's intentionality. And I want to share a few of those things with us this morning, uh, things that can help us to remain rooted and things that can help us remain uh, uh, people that will stand firm in the faith. So one thing I want to share with us is this is that standing firm in our faith requires a daily choice. Daily choices are things that we make all the time. And, and also, if we want to, to stand firm in our faith, 
it's going to require us to make a daily choice. Oftentimes, maybe you have um, situated, one of the daily choices that you may make is, what am I going to have uh, for dinner? Some of you may plan that out for the week, and some of you may not know until that time comes and you're hungry. Or maybe you go out with a friend for dinner or something, and, uh, or your spouse, or, or with a child, or with your child, or a friend, or whatever. And you're going out to dinner, and you're thinking, um, well, what would you, uh, where would you like to go to eat tonight? Um, oh, well, it doesn't matter to me. Um, you know, you can pick. Uh, I'm, I'm in the mood for anything. Um, okay, well, let's, um, maybe we'll go get some Italian food. Mm, no, I'm not really in the mood for Italian. But you just, you just said, you know, and then you just go back and forth. And, and sometimes uh, deciding where you want to eat dinner can be one of the hardest decisions you feel like of your entire life. And then you just finally decide. Uh, many of us maybe have gotten in silly, petty arguments uh, because we're trying to figure out where it is we want to go and what we want to do uh, for dinner. It's a lot harder than it looks and that it seems sometimes, but it's something small, but still it's a choice. And, you know, we're blessed to even have the opportunity to have a choice of where we want to go and get something to eat sometimes. To have a choice of meals is a blessing in itself, but sometimes it's hard to make a choice daily to have faith. Sometimes things are going on, and it's hard to decide to, to be that person who has faith and takes that next step. And God gives us that choice. God gives us that choice to, to have faith or to not have faith. And when it comes to a relationship with God, it's our choice. It's not something God forces on us. We can accept that grace and love and spread that out into the world, or we can say, no, thank you. I don't, I don't want to be a part of spreading the love of God into the world. I don't want to be a part of this. And God gives us that choice to accept or reject that as well. The choice is ours. And as I've said before, God's not going to make us grow in our faith. We must make that decision to want to grow. So no matter what may come in our lives, no matter what season we're in, we must remember the importance of making that daily decision to stand firm in the faith that daily decision to say, today I'm going to strive to be a disciple who walks in the way that leads to life. Another um, thought I want to share with you is this, is that standing firm in our faith also requires us to be dependent on the Holy Spirit, to, to, to need, to have a need for the Holy Spirit. Some of you know if you've ever had a knee replacement or a hip replacement or uh, have family members who have had something like that done, you know that when they get that surgery that they're not getting out of bed right away. I mean, they kind of are, but not by themselves. Not, it's not normal to just get up and start walking again. They have you up and moving pretty quick, but, but you're dependent on a lot of things. You're dependent on maybe a walker or you're dependent on when you're in physical therapy, going up those little steps, you know, you're dependent on grabbing the rails. You're dependent on having someone help you get up because if you fall, uh, you know what a bad story that's going to become. So you become dependent on other people or other things to help you strengthen yourself so that you can get back to where you uh, need to be. And to stand firm in our faith and to grow in our faith, yes, that we play a integral part in that, but we need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit, to be striving to, to have the Holy Spirit of God lead us 
so that we're not trying to do this whole thing on our own. As we strive to remain grounded and firm in the faith, are we seeking the Holy Spirit or are we trying to do too much on our own? When's the last time that we felt like we needed the Holy Spirit in order to get through this situation or in order order to get through this day? The opportunity where we have to say to God, I need you. You know, the worship song sometimes we sing up here, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Is that our prayer? That could be a great way to start the day is to to just get on our knees and to say, Lord, I need you. I need your Holy Spirit. Guide me on this day. I want to be a disciple today. Help me to have the strength to to be who you're calling me to be. I want to depend on your Holy Spirit. So to stand firm, we have to dis, uh, we have to depend on the Holy Spirit. And the last thing I want to share with you is to stand firm in our faith also requires us to do away with our idols. I remember um, before I, uh, you know, when you have a cell phone, you upgrade and things like that. I remember a year or two ago, I was in uh, the store. And it was my time to upgrade my phone. And I thought, wow, this is going to be a great day, you know. So I, I go in and I start looking and, you know, I'm just like, I, I just, I don't want my bill to change. I don't, I don't want any of that to change. I just, you know, I'm going to upgrade. So whatever the next thing is or whatever, as long as nothing changes. So I found that phone and, and everything and uh, the person was helping me. Um, this is the next model or whatever, and, you know, everything stays the same. And I'm like, great, this, this seems awesome. And they say, but there's another phone over here that's the same thing, but the screen's a lot bigger. And it's only really going to add overall maybe like 7 to $10 a month more on your bill. And um, I had one of, that, one of those moments where I went, ooh, you know that feeling where you have what you need, but then there's kind of like this, oh. <laughs> so I go over and I'm kind of twiddling my fingers and I'm very excited and I'm considering this and um, I'm looking at it and I'm like, wow, the screen's so much bigger. I start thinking of all these examples of why I need a bigger screen and, you know, really it's not that much extra a month and, um, and I just, I start playing this game in my mind, you know, we, we've, we, we do this and and I don't always make the right decision, but um, I was able to withhold that temptation on that day and walk out of the store with just kind of without changing anything, and I could just kind of upgrade. But, but, oh, that, that temptation was so strong to, to want to upgrade, and, and, and to, even though it was a little more expensive, I, I thought I really uh, needed that. And sometimes we can become obsessed with things like that. There, there's something in us that desires that latest and, and greatest, and maybe it's not a phone for you, maybe it's a, a new truck or a, a new tractor or sweet lawnmower or four-wheeler or new shoes or whatever it may be. We all have those kind of things that we walk by and go, ooh, that looks nice, and then we kind of convince ourselves, and sometimes we say that. We, we think, wouldn't that be nice if I had something like that? Not that those, not that it's wrong to have things that we love and enjoy, but sometimes they can become dangerous when we lift them up above everything else 
and that everything else also includes God. And we call those things idols. When we elevate things above our relationship with God, they become idols. So sometimes idols can be good things. Sometimes they can be not so good things. But when anything takes that number one slot in priority in our lives that's not God, we, we call that an idol. And one of, the, one of the Ten Commandments is about putting no other gods before the one true God, to stand firm, fam, uh, to, to stand firm in our faith daily also is important. It's important for us to identify what are those idols in my own life? What are those things that are a, more of a priority for me than my relationship with God, my love for God, and my love for other people? What, what is more important than that for me? So it's important that we identify those things, those idols, and it's important that we make sure that they don't come before God. In times of crisis, in times of fear, in times of anxiety, who do, who do we turn to? What do we turn to? I think God wants to be the first one that you turn to in your times of need and struggle. Of course, of course God um, blesses us and gives us the gift of family, the gift of friends, the gift of our church family, and we need each other as well. But who do we turn to? Who do we depend on? What do we trust? What does it look like to stand firm in our faith in the midst of those troubling times, in the midst of those times of our lives where maybe our health feels like it's decreasing? How do we stand firm in our faith when when our financial situation is full of stress? Or how do we stand firm in the faith when the evil in the world is so crippling that we just ask the question, what's the point? What do we do? How do we stand firm in the faith when there's so much injustice in the world? In times of uncertainty and anxiousness and fear, we remember, of course, that God is still with us. That may be just kind of a a cute catchphrase that we hear every now and then, but, but it's true. And it gets me through a lot of days to know that God is present. God may not be causing the pain and the hurt and the struggling, but God is with us in the midst of it. And we remember that God never promises that bad things might not happen in this life to us. And as Christians, we're not exempt from suffering. We're not exempt from pain on this side of eternity, at least. But but God is with us in the midst of it. And we remember that no matter what happens in our lifetime, that death is never the end and suffering is never the end. So we remember that we should be excited for a day where Jesus returns and makes all the wrongs in the world right. But until then, we've got things to do. God is calling us to be a part of God's amazing work in the world. God's calling us to be that voice that speaks out in the lifetime, the short lifetime that all of us have been given, so that we can be a part of bringing heaven to earth. So we are people who stand on the promises of God, that God will never leave us or forsake us in the celebration or in the suffering. God is there with us. May we stand firm in this truth today by choosing daily to follow Jesus, by depending on the Holy Spirit. And may we do away with our idols 
And in doing so, may we experience the peace that only God can provide as we live out our witness for Jesus Christ in the life that we have been given. And as followers of Jesus Christ, let us stand firm. Let us be a reflection of Jesus to the world. Let us start or either continue in our journey of discipleship today where Jesus is our teacher, our example, our Savior, and our friend. And as the great hymn from the 1800s reminds us, it is on Christ the solid rock that I stand, and all other ground is sinking sand. Amen. I invite you to take a moment to close your eyes, to put your, maybe put your hands on your laps with your palms opening up towards the sky and just being receptive of what God may be doing in this moment. Where has God spoken to you today? What is something that you heard or sang that has struck you? And what is your response? How will you respond to this service this morning? How will you go out into the world and live differently? Jesus offers us the living water. So whether it's an invitation for you to join in this journey of discipleship by your faith in Christ, or whether it's to continue in this journey of discipleship, know that God is with you. Know that God's love is, is a never-ending well, and that well never ever runs dry. Come to the well and drink the living water.